Hey guys, this is Casimir, host of Bestseller, a self-publishing podcast by Reedsy. And today I'm happy to present the first in our ongoing series of addendums, meaning an item of additional material omissions added at the end of a book or other publication, like, oh, say, a season of a podcast. These particular addendums take the form of standalone episodes, diving into a single aspect of a debut author's publishing journey rather than covering the whole thing. The first is about Brett Putter, an entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and author of Culture Dex Decoded and the forthcoming Culture Gene. Brett and I had a great conversation about company culture and the perks or difficulties of writing about it, and he faced a lot of the same challenges facing any debut author. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our very first addendum, after a quick word from Reedsy. If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Reedsy. Reedsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Reedsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. You know, I'm not a natural writer. I'm not a good writer. It's not something that comes easy to me. I still don't really understand how I do it. If you were to look at me as an artist, I draw stick men. That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. She writes beautifully, um, and that is like putting blunt needles in my eyeballs. Not only can you, but you should start late. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Reedsy's Best Seller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Addendum 1, Choice Words for First Drafts. If a runner hits a wall, it can mean one of two things. The first meaning is very literal, even tangible. It means that the runner has mid-sprint collided with a solid physical wall, sustaining most likely moderate to severe injuries and most certainly a lifelong mistrust of brick. The second meaning, however, is rhetorical, which means related to or concerned with the art of rhetoric, which in turn means a collection of persuasive or writing devices used to effectively convey a point, like, say, a metaphor, which, as I'm sure you already know, is a rhetorical device used to juxtapose a very vivid thing, such as a full-on collision with a brick wall, with a different thing, such as a sudden loss of energy or fatigue caused by the depletion of glycogen stores in the liver and muscles. That is a different thing that, while perhaps not quite as vivid as said very vivid thing, nevertheless produces a similar outcome, like the inability to continue moving forward. Which is why, in the late 60s or early 70s, athletes began to refer to the aforementioned malady as bonk, or, less absurdly, as hitting a wall. Such is the power of writing, it can be used to make the intangible feel extremely 
sometimes painfully tangible. In the midst of writing his debut novel, Brett Putter's writing itself had become intangible. By January of this year, I'd like, I'd just written the words too many times and looked at it too many times, and they were swimming in front of me, you know, it didn't make any sense. Brett, the author of the Forbes-approved handbook titled Culture Decks Decoded, talks in captivating metaphors and buzzwords, more like an entrepreneur than a writer. To be fair, that's because he is an entrepreneur. I've always been pretty entrepreneurial myself. So, and I'm, and I, and I've never worked in a large corporate, except for one very briefly. It's not true, I have worked in one very briefly, uh, which was not memorable, which is why I forgot. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, so for me, going and working in a, a large corporate would be, would be like putting blunt needles into my eyes. Um, <laughs> And in his own words, he isn't exactly a writer. You know, I'm not a natural writer. I'm not a good writer. It's not something that comes easy to me. Of course, that hasn't stopped him from writing. But in the beginning, Brett Putter didn't set out to write or even to tell a story. He just set out to avoid corporate monotony by starting a company. How did, what, what was your, your career background before you started writing this? So I, I um, uh, I ran a boutique executive search firm uh, for 16 years, and um, th that company helped high growth and early stage companies scale. Um, so I would help uh, a startup or a high growth company recruit their senior executive team anywhere between Moscow and San Francisco. And um, uh, about a year and a half ago, I decided to set up culture. Gene, which is much more focused on the culture piece of the puzzle. And then, eventually, he realized that the key to avoiding corporate monotony was locked in a very intangible, very metaphorical place. Because what happened is I, I realized through the work that I did with the, uh, with the companies I worked with that um, the missing piece of the puzzle is culture. <clears throat> a surprising epiphany or piece of information is not often small, nor jagged, nor made of wood or paperboard, but rhetorically it still can be compared to the missing piece of a jigsaw puzzle, because by recovering either, you get the same outcome, a view of the bigger picture. Nine out of ten companies do nothing about their culture, even though it is the, the one competitive advantage that is within their control. So, by discovering the metaphorical missing piece to the puzzle, Brett saw the bigger picture, that contentment in the workplace didn't have as much to do with corporate versus startup as it had to do with company culture. Organizational or company culture is like a dusty, faded dictionary, as old as it is hard to define. First appearing during the Industrial Revolution throughout titles like The Changing Culture of a Factory, the concept of culture in the workplace has long been recognized as important, but as for what it actually is, that's harder to recognize. The problem with culture is it's largely subconscious, invisible, and intangible. Regardless, Brett set about finding out, first by interviewing as many CEOs as possible about their company's cultures. And so I realized that this was the, the missing, link, uh, missing link and then um, uh, went about interviewing, trying to interview 
few CEOs and I had to speak to 400 companies to actually get 40 CEOs that had done a, 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 a relatively good job of defining, embedding and reinforcing their culture. And then, as a simple matter of convenience, he compiled them into blog posts. I'd written these these um, blogs, and there's a there's a tremendous amount of really good value in these blogs. So, you know, I I, I interview I've interviewed companies about how how they hire, how they fire, um, how they promote, how they do onboarding, how they do pro- their probation periods, how they interview. Um, and there are actual examples of, you know, companies like Influitive is a, is a Canadian company run by a guy named Mark Organ, and he sold Eloqua to Oracle for $870 million. And he said that the reason, one of the reasons why he started Influitive was to fix the mistakes he'd made with culture when he, when he ran Eloqua. He said he could have had a much bigger return on investment had he invested in the culture in the same way that he's investing in the culture at Influitive now. Brett had a mission, and it didn't involve writing a book or landing on the New York Times bestseller or publishing his experiences for readers everywhere to access with the click of a button. My mission is to define company culture as a business function in the same way that sales, marketing, or operations, or engineering are business functions. Culture will become that. And my vision is to change company culture globally. While he was on that mission, Brett discovered that a comfortable and efficient company culture has many tangible outcomes. There's all sorts of advantages to having a well-defined culture and and a strong culture when it comes to retaining people, recruiting people, the right types of people, uh, having engaged employees, autonomous uh, feedback. Lots of studies showing that a well-defined culture has a very strong ROI. So that's where I realized there's a huge gap in the market and I want to do something about it. A fun example is Alethea Navarro um, was the founder of a company called Skimlinks. And when they moved into a big enough office, they had a central, a central area kitchen. And she put a toaster into the center of the kitchen. Because when you smell toast, you know you're in somebody's kitchen, in their home. And so she wanted people to feel like they were at home. But as for a strict definition, uh, that was harder to put a finger on. Literally. Culture is very much like your your fingerprint. Your fingers look the same as everybody else's, but actually your fingerprints are completely unique and a culture is unique. So you can't go and copy the Netflix culture deck, which is 125 pages. You can't go and copy the the Patreon culture deck because it's, that's unique to Patreon. So, practically on impulse, Brett turned to writing. There's lots of really good examples of different companies doing incredibly innovative things with their culture to embed their culture. And I just thought that it would be a shame to leave it to my very badly written blogs to communicate this. So what I've done is I've taken the best slides from those decks and I've organized them in different headings so that you can look at how LinkedIn talk about culture, how Netflix talk about culture, how Hootsuite talk about values, how GoDaddy talks about mission, how NextJump talks about the way we work around here, how different companies look at uh, diversity and inclusion, how companies approach feedback, how companies approach 
um, recruitment, talent acquisition, and, and so on. That is, he turned to a method long used, just like the metaphor, to make meaning out of the absurd. My mission is to define company culture. Or, in other words, to make the intangible feel tangible. The problem with culture is it's largely subconscious, invisible, and intangible. Whether you're an author with a capital A, an entrepreneur, or a particularly inattentive or clumsy runner, writing can be a useful tool for anyone looking to make sense of the world. But if writing doesn't come naturally to you, if the words aren't flying off the pen or being dictated to you by some higher power when you sit down to write, there can be some drawbacks when you first sit down to tell a story on paper. And so I um, set about uh, turning these blogs into a book and um, thought I'd done a, a, a decent enough job of it to ask my wife to read it. So it's finished. Um, what do you think? And um, she said, do you really want to know after reading it? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yes, please. And she said, well, it's really shit. Fortunately, if you have experienced some of these drawbacks, you aren't the only one. In her 1994 manual, Bird by Bird, Anne Lamott argues for the virtues of the shitty first draft. In rare cases, she said, authors are born to write. It comes to them easily and with richness. According to Lamott, she even knew an author like this once, and in her own words, one might hope for bad things to rain down on a person like that. The rest of us, she argues, must first vomit all over the page in search of even a single worthwhile idea to regurgitate. Metaphorically speaking, of course. To quote, People tend to look at successful writers who are getting their books published and maybe even doing well financially and think that they sit down at their desks every morning feeling like a million dollars, feeling great about who they are and how much talent they have and what a great story they have to tell. That they take a few deep breaths, push back their sleeves, roll their necks a few times to get all the cricks out, and dive in, typing fully formed passages as fast as a court reporter. But this is just the fantasy of the uninitiated. For me, and most of the other writers I know, writing is not rapturous. In fact, the only way I can get anything written at all is to write really, really shitty first drafts. Anne Lamont's idea is that to write something great, or even to write something at all, you first got to get something down on paper, no matter how bad, or in Brett's wife's words, shit. Then, at least you'll have something to work with when you inevitably stumble over that pesky little brick known as writer's block. In January this year, I just hit a wall. That reminds me, there actually is a third meaning of the phrase hitting a wall. This one is an idiom, which is very much like a metaphor, only it's colloquial. In other words, so commonplace in our language that it has lost most of its comparative or rhetorical value. Ever since its popularity among South African athletes in the 1960s, the phrase hitting a wall has become more and more popular and, by extension, less and less specific. The idiom no longer refers purely to a specific ailment faced by runners or cyclists or particularly committed ballroom dancers, and so it also no longer conjures the poignant image of a Usain Bolt-shaped hole through maroon-colored masonry. Now, 
Hitting a wall can refer to anyone, from an entrepreneur to a debut author, and rather than bringing to mind an immovable brick object, it conjures the less poignant but far more pleasant image of a wall that, while inconvenient, can be climbed over, or perhaps circumvented altogether. A friend, I was speaking to a friend of mine about this, and he's a, um, a, a CTO for a, for a startup. And he said to me, Brett, it's, this happens to a lot of engineers. He said, we work on, we work on a project for a, a, a fairly long period of time. We can work on code for a fairly long period of time. And then we hit a wall. And that's why I and most of the engineers in my team are always working on a side project. So keeping in mind this idea that a bad first draft isn't contrary, but rather oftentimes conducive to a great final draft, Let's get back to Brett's story. I then basically started again and with her help, looked at the logic, looked at exactly how things fit, to fit together. Uh, and, and the reason I was struggling with that is because, I, because I'd written the blogs and then rewritten it again and started writing it again. It just became a bit of a, a, a sort of a soup for me. And so I decided to write this ebook on Culture Decks because I'd written a blog about it and the blog kept getting very good traction. And, and lots of sharing and, and, and lots of reads. And so um, decided to write a 20-page ebook, and that turned into a 280-page uh, handbook, which is called Culture Dex Decoded. And it's all about the culture decks um, of some of the great companies like Netflix and HubSpot, uh, Patreon, Vell, uh, Asana. For Brett, it seemed that taking a break from the book his wife so candidly panned worked exactly in the way Anne Lamott predicted. It was okay that he got all his ideas out in a way that wasn't necessarily compelling. No one ever had to know, other than his wife and, well, I suppose all of us listening to this podcast. But in the end, all he had to do was get it out of his system, go do something else, and return with a fresh pair of eyes. That wall he hit was only metaphorical. Unlike a literal brick wall, it was not something that threatened bodily harm or even that could knock him down for long. It was just something to take a detour around. Writing this book um, has been easier uh, because it's, it's, it's required less of the logical thought. And amazingly, it's actually cleared the cash in my head so that I can go back to the first book and actually finish it now. Um, which once I've finished with the marketing and the launch of, uh, of Culture Dex Decoded, I will go back to the Culture Gene, which is my second book. Reset and then like go back to what essentially was just a first draft and see where you could uh, sharpen that up. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, 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 it's given me a lot more clarity. It's allowed me to, I don't know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's literally like all the, all the bad, uh, all the bad sort of cobwebs in my head were cleared out by, by writing this, writing Talking to Brett, I never got the feeling that he identified as a writer. Really, he was just a guy who wanted to take this abstract idea of organizational culture and make it into something real, something that could help companies improve themselves and help people everywhere find a slightly more enjoyable place to work. On that mission, writing was both the wall that he hit and the solution to getting around it. Because while writing can undoubtedly be really, really difficult, it has also always been used to make difficult ideas into something a little more tangible. So these examples really surface how culture works in different companies. 
And so it was really to, to you know, put this in one place and also to share. And for Brett, that detour he took was its own journey too. One that ended with a much greater comfort in writing and with two finished books instead of just one. And, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that he met some cool people along the way, too. And so I never really considered going the traditional route because it takes too long. Um, it's, it's laborious. I used Reezy to hire two different designers for the, for, the, for the front cover and the interior because the books are, the one is a handbook and the other one is a, a you know, full-length book. The handbook's got a lot of pictures, a lot of diagrams. Um, a lot of imagery, and it's and because it's a handbook, it needs a more casual tone. So sure. I chose one one designer for that, and then I chose the second designer for um, the more formal book. And since then, I've used I used Reezy to find a publicist in the UK and a publicist in the US. I've been working with startups for 16, 17 years now. So I, it, it, for me, the fact that Everything was in one place, so this marketplace made it that much easier. And you've got, you know, you 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 you've got. There is some sort of um, there's that social element, there's that social trust element that you get with the marketplace. Writing isn't a trade. It's not something that some of us are born to do and others are banned from doing. It's part of our culture. Hating your first draft or not feeling like a good writer inside. That doesn't disqualify you from writing. In fact, feelings of inadequacy and a fraud complex? That sounds exactly like a writer. But take it from a guy who's written and scrapped at least five drafts of this very podcast episode. The first step to getting up the wall is getting something down on the page. I do think that I've got better and better at writing as, as, I, as I've written these books. Um, my, my, you know, I'm not a natural writer. I'm not a good writer. It's not something that comes easy to me. But actually, reading it, going back and reading it and looking at it, um, has been very helpful. And, and having cleared my head, I can see the mistakes I've made. I can see where I need to, where, where, where work needs to be done. Where before it, the words were literally swimming in front of my head. Brought to you by Reedsy, this is Best Seller. Over the course of these addendums, we'll check in with a handful of indie authors to get their unique takes on the journey to self-publication. If you like this series, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And keep your eyes peeled for more addendum episodes, as well as the premiere of our second season, coming soon to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice.